I'm Jana Marin, and you're listening to Season 2 of More to the Story, the podcast that's all about creative nonfiction and the power of sharing your personal story. Tell me a story, tell me true, I want to know what happened to you. The stars are all out and the night is so blue, tell me a story and I I'll tell mine to you. Welcome to season two, episode number 11 of More to the Story, a show that is all about something near and dear to my heart, telling true stories and sharing them with the world. In addition to this podcast, I also publish a literary magazine called Under the Gum Tree, which is dedicated to creative nonfiction and visual art. The magazine is published quarterly in digital and print. If you enjoy the readings on this show, I encourage you to check out the complete stories by purchasing a single issue or getting a subscription. Your purchase directly supports the work of the writers and artists we publish. Digital subscriptions are $2 a month and print subscriptions are $7 a month. All that info is online at underthegumtree.com. On today's episode of More to the Story, I'm joined by Stephen Gutierrez, one of Under the Gumtree's previous contributors. Stephen has published three books of stories and essays, Live from Fresno y Los won an American Book Award, and The Mexican Man in His Backyard is his most recent. He has published widely in magazines and anthologies, including nonfiction in Fourth Genre, River Teeth, Under the Sun, Alaska Quarterly Review, Third Coast, Ziziva, and Cleaver Magazine. He is working on a collection of essays and hybrid nonfiction. He teaches at California State University East Bay, and his essay Spiritual Direction appears in the 2016, October 2016 issue of Under the Gum Tree. Before we get to the interview, here is Stephen reading from his essay, The Count. From The Count. My Nino the Count made me proud to be his godson. He exuded nobility. Not many people have it. Even at the young age I speak of, my elementary school days, I knew it. And I knew a special day when I lived one. And I vowed to preserve this particular one and set it down in words once I became adept enough to handle them. I do not know if I am. I am just ready to try. I am game because I have a streak of courage gained from a fierce shot of whiskey that is coming up in this essay and another. What bigots call Mexican courage isn't mine, but memory's richness is. Isn't that where the treasure lies? Where what we need to endure exists when the day seems blank and awful and the future bleak? I have known those soulless times. Maybe this piece is written against them on this pleasant blue afternoon against the paralyzing fear to live well and honestly when all the lies have caught up to you. I have a few secrets, and it seems useless to go on. Simplicity at work in the complicated world, that's the ticket. I have a basic urge to communicate quiet strength and share what I have found moving in the world, no matter how small or uneventful the moment. My Nino was an extraordinary man, that is, My godfather, the Count, radiated a larger-than-life aura. He seemed descended from another race of men, not like the men around him, who were good enough. He came from another breed entirely, not pitifully human, cramped in spirit, practical and judgmental and guarded. 
not like the mass of men when you break them down, the regular guy who is decent enough but not kind enough to make the world bearable for the sensitive. Oh, that's me. I love the Count, my godfather. How did he become Count? Did he always go by that? I asked my mother once. I think so, my mother answered. I can't remember a time when he wasn't the Count. She mused in her kitchen. He was a magnificent man, wasn't he? Yep, nothing special on paper, just grand, but no more. He was already dead and buried. They all were. My older relatives who have played a big part in my life, raising me unconsciously by their actions, by their selves. I watched them carefully and picked up what I could of grace and strength. There were affable uncles and gregarious aunts and stern grandparents and occasionally distant relatives arriving in Los Angeles from up north, from Arizona, from the coast. They stayed at my grandparents' modest two-bedroom home that sat squarely on a ramshackle street in Montebello, the east side of Los Angeles. They impressed me with their character and seriousness and intelligence. It shone through the bright brown eyes of the men slapping down cards at the kitchen table, my grandfather gruff and serious too, and obviously pleased to be playing cards with his uncle Nacho or cousin Rufino. And this brightness came through amazingly on the faces of the women catching up on the sofa in the living room. These faraway relatives stamped me positively when they visited. They had it, the stuff I wanted and knew to be important, gravitas, dignity, confidence. That's who we were, competent people, strong people, unbowed people. I am giving you the best side of my family. I am leaving out the sweet failures and belligerent drunks and the two heroin addicts, admittedly, the nondescript men and women worth something, but not to me, not in this essay where they necessarily take a back seat to the rest, sweetly and sadly fulfilling their average destinies with their own immense heartaches and loneliness imprinted on their faces, paper plates bearing abundant food on their laps at family parties. And I don't herald the mysterious few who fled the family, who broke free from heritage and race and all the complication and shame or just plain bother of being one of the least favorable hyphenated Americans. I'm talking about the richly successful self-made men in various fields, trucking and construction come to mind, and the glamorous women in prosperous marriages who didn't want to associate with the race anymore, not strongly anyway. They didn't want to be considered a one can't, can't voice it without apologizing first, which I refuse to do, so evidently in the eyes of the world. Self-released ethnics. I'm not naming the son of one who exited completely in time and not ruining the empty comfort of his room and the way he left a note that brought his father back to the fold, tragically spent, beaten, humble, lonely, and uncommonly kind. I'm purposely not dwelling on the house he died in, a pale gray McMansion perched on a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean. He stuck a handgun in his mouth. He pulled the trigger. I skirt the failures and the absconded. There are enough to fill another essay or a book and concentrate on the moderately successful, the everyday victors, the pardonably assimilated homeowners and workers. I shine the light on contentment as opposed to regret that characterizes so much serious memoir, rightly. I echo the happy voices at payday and laughter. Well, that's my excerpt from The Count.
Thank you, Steve, and welcome to More to the Story. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, I'd like to start with um, hearing a little bit about your writing background and how you came to write nonfiction and creative nonfiction and memoir. Well, I started with fiction. That was my uh, inducement or introduction to writing. That goes back to high school and college, and I never thought of writing anything but fiction. But uh, I went to grad school at Cornell, where one of the preeminent uh, essayists of the Times taught, really one of the uh, uh, introducers of uh, creative nonfiction to our literary scene, James McConkie, Jim McConkie. He was my advisor there at Cornell, and we talked a lot. And he was always talking about how fiction is exhausted, how it's spent, how it's tired. Uh, and he had gone through a, an epiphany in his life that turned him away from fiction to nonfiction. Anyway, all this just worked in the back of my mind, and I still didn't intend to write nonfiction. But uh, one day when I sat down to write, that's what came out. That was a couple years later. And then I, I liked it. I, I, I realized it's a... A good genre for me to work in also. What was your reaction to his take on fiction being spent? Well, I agreed with him a lot because he would give examples of, of tired novels, tired writers, of, of forms that just don't wash anymore because we've read the moves over and over again. And he was all for fiction and he just found so much of it not fresh. Uh, when it was fresh, like me, he was excited about it. But so much didn't work anymore. Sure. And so when you found nonfiction and started writing in that genre, what was it about the genre that was appealing to you and, and made it made you drawn to it? And um, it sounds like it was a pretty easy transition. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about what that was like for you. Oh, I should start by saying I, I straddle both camps. I, I still do fiction and they both please me and satisfy me in different ways. Uh, with nonfiction, I guess I could, uh, well, obviously, uh, I could be myself and I have a self or uh, a certain persona that was based on myself that tried to stick to the facts of my life rather than to you know, exist within the contours of a fictional persona because it's all one way or another, I believe. You know, a mask, a persona, that's just what we need to do to, to create art. But it drew me in in that there, there was a, a, a new voice, a, a different voice that was, that was uh, Steve Gutierrez uh, more directly. And that was fun and, and challenging and exciting. Mm -hmm. And what was the impetus or inspiration for this piece you read about your godfather, um, the Count? Uh, I was working on something really long that I've since discarded, but when working on it, I just started exploring different strands, and uh, he came up, and he was always a, a fascinating man, and I'm working on a, a collection of nonfiction, of essays, with uh, fatherhood being a big theme. And so this fit in with uh, other pieces I had written about my father. And my father will come into this essay also. So I just I just went with it and uh, 
was pleased with it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask specifically about um, in in the beginning section that you read and throughout the rest of the essay, you say several times in different words, but you you make mention of the the aspects of your family pain, failure, shame that you're not going to mention or not dwell on in the essay. Um, and by doing so, you're mentioning those those elements. So what is where how did that device come come into the essay for you when you were writing? And what do you think you're accomplishing or, or processing with with that little device in the essay? Well, I think I was deliberately taking a stand for what me, might be called a more positive or affirmative uh, portrait of somebody, which frankly is, is, you don't see as often as you do uh, a portrait of somebody who's beaten or who's broken or who is at his or her worst. And I've written those kind of portraits and I'm not dismissing those portraits. That's usually what draws us as writers, the, the broken. But just because I was kind of breaking ranks with that and saying, uh, I'm going to write a, a tribute, a true, true tribute, I I had to also acknowledge that my family is far from perfect. My extended family, we're all as messed up as anybody, right? So it seemed just honest not to add that element in. And it's just like it seems as honest to talk about life without just mentioning its tragic aspect, its cloud, its, its darkness. That for me, anyway, it's just always there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think what I accomplished was is just I hope balanced and honestly that it's not a you know a saccharine piece that it it, it, it uh, brings in shadows as it were that that light, that kind of hover over it mm-hmm. as that. And as I believe, hover over our own lives, but hopefully mm-hmm. not too dark. I like that that description and that metaphor of shadows because I was, as I was reading and and hearing you talk a little bit more about it, I'm thinking, yes, it's a great it's a great piece. It's a fun moment that you have with your your father and your godfather, and yet with those subtle mentions of the other aspects of your family that you're not specifically addressing in this essay. There's a little bit of ominous, uh, this subtle ominous tone to the essay about like, oh, well, those things are still kind of lingering somewhere just on the edges of the experience. And not to toot my own horn, but I would say that actually they're not only on the edges, they're central to it. I just read this passage of this guy blowing his brains out. Doesn't get get much darker (laughs) than that. (laughs) So so there it is. (laughs) Very true. Touche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, touche to me, you know. That's I just thought of that right now myself. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. So um, I think a lot of memoirists and nonfiction writers are drawn to writing about family. It's one of the things that we know the best, right? Our own personal history and, and the people who are a part of that history. For you, Steve, what do you feel like you learn about yourself and even about your family when you when you um, when you write those stories? I maybe just uh, gain uh, a depth of understanding that I didn't have before. In other words, I think I have a, a shallow or a superficial understanding already. I think of these forces, but just 
that shaped me. But writing about them, honestly, I think I could uh, gain their import uh, more more accurately and and also maybe uh, gain sympathy in the process for for people and characters and quotation marks who uh, maybe I didn't have that depth of sympathy for, but you know, exploring their lives uh, as honestly as I can, uh, understanding that. They were more complicated than I thought, for instance, or or, or they or they bore a load that I didn't really recognize, something like that. Mm. I like that analysis, the the newly understood sympathy for others. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What is it about the writing that you think accomplishes that for you? I think it all it's all a question of um, not just my own writing, but writing in general of affirming and never going after anybody at all in your work, but just trying to get at the truth, uh, the honesty, the roundedness of somebody, no matter how in, inhuman or hurtful that person may, may be. And, um, it's a challenge. It, it could be, but if you determine to, uh, to affirm and not, not to work from resentment, I guess, and, and to approach the work in that spirit, I think um, you're going to find these uh, epiphanies or or uh, insights that eluded you before. I'm trying to get back to your original question, how we got back to this, uh, how we got to this. Um, am I on track? Um, yeah, a little bit. I'm. I was asking about what is it about the writing that helps you gain this new understanding or sympathy for others in your in your life and i'm thinking about it in in the um what's the best way to put it um just from the perspective of whether the writing and including other people in your life forces you to think about the situation from others' perspectives at all. Yeah, I think not just talking about me, myself, but just as a writer in general, it's just a matter of courage of how many of your preconceptions or turn out to be misconceptions you're ready to challenge and lay aside. We all could, you know, write forcefully about what we believe in. But if we really uh, suspend our belief and say, no, I don't really know half as much as I think I do or this strong idea I have about uh, this person or, or this situation, it's not settled yet. And if you go into it in that spirit, I think then you'll get to that sympathetic point or you'll up the chances of getting there. And, and again, we're all we're guarded beings and, and we write often just to – champion ourselves and it's very natural to do that or to claim ourselves as the greatest victim in the world but if you put that aside and say no the whole world's victimized and and try to understand something as holy as possible then i think that's when you know empathy and and all that might happen mm-hmm. i've also heard other writers talk about it in terms of presenting yourself the I in the story as um 
I mean, not as the not as the villain so much per se, but you know, presenting yourself almost as the the worst character. Um, because then you're you're being more scrutinous of your own actions and behavior and giving uh, maybe perhaps that exercise forces a little bit more um, like equal treatment of the others who you're writing about instead of always pointing a finger per se. I think that's a good way to look at it or or good advice or just a good uh, tenant maybe to keep in the back of your mind. And, and you're absolutely right. Not, uh, not to look at yourself as a villain per se, but as marked, you know, right. as, as, as anybody else in, in the story. And I think that would just keep you honest and on your toes. And it's harder for others than it is for some, I think to do that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very true. Very yeah. true. <laughs> Um, so is your most recent book still the Mexican man in his backyard or do you have, okay. So tell us a little bit about that book and, um, what, what is it about and, and what do you have in there? Well, I'm reaching over to grab it just to remind myself it's right here. Uh, (laughs) the the Mexican man in his backyard is a collection of stories and essays uh, really, I'd say nonfiction because even the stories have a strong um, autobiographical cast. But I'd, I'd call it hybrid, really nonfictional hybrid. And I think it's a unified book. It's unified around certain themes of uh, of family, of, of, of fatherhood, of sickness, and a few themes of uh, just society, societal changes that we're going through right now. I touched on the hip hop generation and how distant I feel from it, for instance. And there's a bit on uh, affirmative action, which was really a hot topic and it's still out there as a hot topic. It it won't go away. I touched a little bit on that, but in very, very personal ways. And um, I call it facetiously, but I, I, um, I mean it seriously, the third book in a trilogy because they all hang together. And I call it my three-volume box set, and the box, <laughs> the boxed is capitalized. And hopefully, when I'm boxed and gone, my box set <laughs> will be out there. That's really my uh, lugubrious wish. So it, it does kind of conclude this, uh, this trilogy. Yeah. Okay. So are the other two books of the trilogy written, or are yes, they? they st- are. Okay. What are yes, those titles? The first book of the trilogy is my first book elements mm-hmm. uh short stories and the second book is live from fresno y los stories uh, the los referring to los angeles an old cholo way of speaking to los of los angeles that's the second book and that's more that's just about all stories the first one is stories and and, and uh, non-fiction mm-hmm. yeah so those are them those are the first two books mm-hmm and do we meet the count in any of those stories? No, the the count is part of a new collection that I have. Okay. And the the count is part of a little series called a, a quartet for my father. Um, and yeah, that's it, yeah, that's what it is. Okay, so that's a work in project in progress. More or less done. The manuscript now for the easy task of selling it, right? <laughs> 
take, take a day once I just sit down and do it. You know? Awesome. Well, I will look forward to seeing it, seeing it once it is published and sold. Um, so good luck with that. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for talking today. Where can listeners find you online and learn more about you and your work? Well, thanks for asking. I have a website. That would be the best place. And it's uh, my name, uh, all lowercase, stephendguterres.com, Stephen with a P-H. Uh, Guterres is actually kind of the smith of uh, Mexican last names, but people don't know that. G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z. Anyway, stephendguterres.com is my website. I got a little, yeah, I got stuff up there. That would be great if anybody would go there. Say hi to me. You can reach me through it, too. Excellent. Well, I'll be sure to include the link to that when the episode publishes. And thank you so much for your time and for chatting. Thank you, Janice. It's been great. That was Stephen Gutierrez. Visit him online at stephendgutierrez.com. Find all the links and info in the show notes for this episode at moretothestorypodcast.com. And of course, if you're interested in learning more about creative nonfiction as a genre, don't forget about my audio course, CNF 101. You can find out more information and sign up online from my website at janamarlise.com slash CNF 101 course. It's a six-week email course, which means when you sign up, you'll get a lesson emailed to you once a week for six weeks. And those emails include the audio lesson that you can download, Listen to whenever you want, as many times as you want, reading material, a summary of the lesson, as well as the week's homework. You have access to the material for future reference and access to a private Facebook group with other course participants, as well as me. I will hop in there and interact once in a while, answering questions and posting resources. And then, of course, the best thing is that it's a self-paced course You get those emails once a week for six weeks, but then you have all the material that you can access at any time, refer back to it whenever you want to, repeat the material as often as you want to. Um, It's a really great way to just start building up your knowledge of the genre and of what the literary landscape looks like for creative nonfiction. Check it out at janamarlise.com slash CNF 101 course. I hope you'll join me. I would love nothing more than to support you in your writing journey of telling true stories. Next time on More to the Story, I talk with Yadon Israel about writing lies and how we often use that as a mode for discovering truth in our writing. We also talk about the inspiration behind his popular literary swag hashtag, as well as his new lit platform, a weekly YouTube interview series with authors. To subscribe to this podcast, go to iTunes.com slash more to the story. And while you're there, leave a review. I love feedback. I love hearing from you. And it helps with the ratings. More to the story is produced out of my home office in Sacramento, California, with technical and audio support from TJ Santoro. Special thanks to my husband, Jeremy Marin, who wrote and performed the theme song. You can visit us online at moretothestorypodcast.com, follow Under the Gumtree on Twitter and Instagram at undergumtree. I'm Jana Marlise Marin, just Jana on Twitter, Jana Marlise everywhere else. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of More to the Story. Tell me a 
story Tell me truth I want to know what happened to you The stars are all out and the night is so blue Tell me your story and I'll tell mine to you Sitting on the balcony Drinking up our wine Talking about the way that we used to live our lives The words in the books, man, they're nothing but lies I look into your eyes and you look into mine You say, tell me a story Tell me true, I want to know what happened to you The stars are all out and the night is so blue 